Gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Defense was, was, uh, came into the game as the worst uh, passing defense in the NFL. What were they able to do, though, to kind of give you guys um, so many issues throughout the game? I don't know. Uh, you know, I'll know better when we look at the tape. Um, but just from how I felt, um, you know, I felt like, you know, I, I need to do a better job of, of getting the ball out of my hands. Um, and if something's not there, finding my check down. Yeah, I mean, it sucks, you know. So, again, we just got to watch the tape and, and get better and see what we can do, uh, you know, to continue to improve. I mean, yeah, we got to be better. Losing is not fun, so we just got to be better. And like I, like I say during the week, we just got to find a way to continue to improve and, and get better and um, do all the things that we need to do to, to try to win a game. That was the essence of Sam Darnold's post-game comments after Sunday's loss to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, it was a lot longer than that. We crunched it down under a minute, but if you listen to the whole thing, it was just more of the same. The Jets have now set a franchise record. Their unlucky 13th straight loss, the most lopsided loss of the Adam Gase era. There's only three games left in this miserable season. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Please subscribe to the show uh, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating and review. Consider that your Christmas present for us or your holiday gift to us to give us a five-star review and, and say something nice about the show if you're uh, You can also send money. It. I got a way <laughs> to pay for it. Sure. Sure. You know, it's been a tough year, Connor, so I was trying to let people <laughs> off easy just to say no. something nice, no. but no. You can also send us... Benjamins, whatever. Anyway, we'll put our we'll put our Venmos up. We'll put our Venmos up on the. Uh, we'll all hold them up like this. Is what we'll do. Yeah, we'll at the end of the show, Venmos instead up. of Twitter, we can start leaving our Venmos. <laughs> I, who would get the most? I think I would. Yeah, that's. that's uh, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's safe. You've to got say. you've got your little fan base in this comment. So we we talk about it because it's occasionally like we we go on this like block spree because people are just absolute morons in the comments. And the vast majority I shouldn't say this. The vast majority of the people yeah, I was going to say our comment section is fantastic. No, it's you great. Know. It's like yeah. what I mean is like occasionally there's like the one asshole that like penetrates it and and like you suddenly start to see like just the off color remarks. And it's like, like no one's got to deal with that. But what I I do love about the comment section is that whenever that one like a hole appears and comes out of nowhere the marissa army that lives within the comment section like all those like og day one loyal listeners that we have that someone says one bad thing about marissa and they are just like i mean it's like it's like a a, a just a gang that comes together and attacks them what do you she doesn't do nothing she's the producer you ass like oh it's amazing i love it it's so fun like it's one of the first like obviously like before i block like the person because i go through and like I'm, I'm monitoring the comment section now and like Whenever I see it, I'll make a note like, okay, that, that user's getting blocked. That user's gone. Like, that user's get, getting out of here. As soon as I see it, although, it's like, I'll, I'll go like, all right, I want to see what the people say in response to it. And there's always, there's always the Marissa army. There's no Connor or Tim army. There's just a Marissa army. In Sounds there. like a hashtag, Marissa army. Hashtag Marissa army. We might get, get that, that going. going. We might yeah. get that. We might as well. There's nothing else to do. All right, let's get yeah exactly. Uh, let's get into the game, and we'll start where the show started there with that audio that you heard, um, Sam Darnold after the game. So let's start by talking about Sam Darnold. We're not going to talk about Sam Darnold's future with the Jets or anything like that. We've certainly moved on uh, since about that overall, but we are going to talk about just 
how sad it is now to watch it because the numbers, Connor, 14 of 26, 132, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but there very easily could have been multiple interceptions, including when he hit um, Adams directly in the chest early in this game. Um, We've gone from the point where we wanted to see Sam Darnold progress through the season to we wanted to see him keep his trade value up through the season to now I don't even know what to say about the way he's playing and the post game sound is just so sad to listen to him cuz he seems lost. It's that that's that's it man and it's I think what's the most demoralizing thing about the Sam Darnold regression is that like I go back to, to his rookie year, and I talked about this a little bit last night on CBS, and, and I've written it a little bit too in, in our story on the athletic, and, and it's you know, but it but it does bear repeating because you know, like like Sam's rookie year, obviously it started with that massive boom game against the Lions, you know, where where oh man, he's got he's saying like that was fun to his parents as he's exiting the locker room, gets the first win, everyone's feeling good, you know, Jamal Adams is posting about how it's a, a new day and age for for Jets football, yada yada, blah, blah, blah. But he went through that like slump that you expected from a rookie quarterback where he wasn't looking very good. Then he got hurt with the foot. He's throwing interceptions. He's not really accurate. There were good throws, bad throws, but it wasn't really good. But the final four games of that season, when he was playing uh, the bills and then it was the Packers and the Vikings. And then the end of the season with a poor game against the Patriots, but everyone always has a poor game against the Patriots. But during that that chunk, during that stretch of games, and, and I know no Sam only won one. He only went one and three in that stretch, but he really seemed to show what the next twelve to fifteen years were really gonna look like here. You know, I mean it was the the six touchdowns and one interception. It was the completion percentage well over sixty. It was the quarterback rating of ninety nine point one. It was taking an offense that was led by receivers in Andre Roberts and Jermaine Curse and Deontay Burnett, remember him, and a rookie Chris Herndon, and elevating their play to the point where not just the Jets within their organizations, but those are within their organization, but those around the league were like, you know what? Holy cow, the Jets got their guy. Holy cow, the Jets have a franchise quarterback. It's finally happened. The Joe Namath curse is over. The Jets have a guy, and now over the next three years, they're going to surround him with talent. And in two or three years, the Jets are going to be contenders in the AFC. They're going to be Super Bowl contenders. Eventually, he's going to be the guy that snaps his 50-year Super Bowl drought and puts it on the finger. To think about that quarterback, even just a play, that that magical touchdown that he threw against the Bills to Robbie Anderson in the back of the end zone, where he's right, he's left, he's right again, and then somehow he slings it and finds a sliding Robbie Anderson for the touchdown. To think that that player has devolved to the guy that we saw on Sunday under 200 passing yards for the seventh time in nine games touchdown lists for the fifth time in nine games, a quarterback rating under 76 for the seventh time in nine games. Like that's just sad, man. And then you listen to him talk after the game. And the one thing that you always had with Sam in the face of all the turmoil, in the face of all the the negativity, in the face of all of the struggles and the, the, just the terrible play around him, from him, bad coaching, bad management, all that. You always had the look forward optimism that next week will be better. And we've said this before about the Jets, but next week will be better. You know, we'll get it. It's fine. You know, we just need to correct this. We need to correct that. When I asked him yesterday, and you heard the bite to open the show, 
Why weren't you able to do more against like 132 passing yards against the worst passing defense in the NFL that's averaging a clip of 308 a game? How did you not do more? And it's, I don't know. I have to do better, but I don't know. And it's just to see that guy on the podium or on the other end of a Zoom call, I should say, and listen to him and his tone and just the eyes going up. I mean, that's not Sam. That's not the Sam we saw rookie year. That's not the Sam we saw sophomore year. That's not the Sam we saw when he had mono. That's a... That's a broken, beat down, demoralized, unconfident quarterback. That's just very. I said this before. It, he. It, it's like it's finally set in that there is an expiration date in his jet career, and there is absolutely nothing he can do to extend it. That at the end of this season, he's going to go play for a new team. It's he's not this team's franchise quarterback. He's going to be kind of holding that reputation as he is the next in a long line of USC quarterbacks to fail in the NFL. And, and, and like you said, it's, it's just sad, man, because it didn't, if it always feels like it didn't have to be this way, but also at the same time, you can't blame the surrounding cast anymore. You can't blame the coaching all of the time anymore. You like it. A lot of this is Sam as well. Like this isn't Sam running around trying to make plays and no one's helping him. This is Sam playing poorly. This is a guy that looks like a bad quarterback this isn't man if you just get him more weapons man if they had a better offensive line man if they had better better coaching all of that can be said and all that can be true but Sam looks bad he looks terrible like he's under 60% completion percentage in a game again 132 passing yards like Tyreek Hill had 200 receiving yards in the first quarter a couple weeks ago and Sam's got 132 in a game against the worst passing defense in the NFL he's inaccurate I know he didn't turn it over but he could have had three interceptions it's just I don't know what's happened, and it's 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 sad to see what's happened. And you you'll blame some on Gase, blame some on Mike McCagnan, blame some on Joe Douglas. All of those guys deserve some blame, but at the same time, it does fall on Sam. And it's just I don't know the the fact that that quarterback we saw the final four games of his rookie season is the same quarterback we saw in the field against the Seahawks three years later. I it, it it's 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 upsetting. It's upsetting. And it brings us to another point, which is there's three games left in the season. If you if you look at the videotape from 2020 um, and just had that and didn't have USC career, didn't have those final games of the 2018 season, didn't have flashes last year, um, you're not going to be able to get anything for this guy in a trade. You're not going to get a seventh rounder. Luckily, that at least there is that past stuff. that, And there are um, executives around the NFL that I'm sure – back three years ago, were on board that this guy was the best quarterback available in that draft and they would love to have him. And And you hope that that stuff is lingering in the back of somebody's mind that they're willing to give up something to get this guy when the when the Jets go to trade him after this season. Um, but the question is, with three games left in the season, is there value in continuing to send him out there in hopes that he has like one great game and people are like, oh, see, he can still do it? Or should they almost just shut him down so it doesn't get any worse? Well, I've like Brian Costello is the one who's, who's made this. He's not wrong. Like if, if this season was all about winning and the Jets were actually trying to win games right now, then Joe Flacco is your quarterback. Like Joe Flacco mm-hmm. gives the Jets a better chance to win, which is yep. ridiculous that I'm saying that, and I'm not saying that tongue in cheek. I'm not saying that as a joke, and I'm not saying that as a slight at Sam Darnold. But Joe Flacco gives this team a better chance to win. You saw it against the the Patriots. You saw it when he's played today since he or this season after he kind of got through a couple of the rust knockoff games coming back from that offseason neck surgery. Once he kind of got his right, Joe Flacco is a better quarterback right now. But 
I, I, I don't think you can bench him, but at the same time, it's not, he's not helping his trade value at all. I mean, there's going to be a lot first... of quarterbacks available this off season, which yeah, doesn't you know help. like he's crazy. Yep. Who are you trading for, Carson? Went- I mean, Carson Wentz has like a lot of money attached to him, but I, I don't know. You know, Matt Stafford. Maybe we can bring on. Um, that's a good. We could debate like the whole Carson Wentz thing. We should bring on like one of the Eagles guys to this podcast. I'm trying to think who the best one would be. Probably <laughs> Sheil would probably be a really good one to bring but on to no, talk they, to. No, they've discussed Zach it. Like, would be a good one, and, and that's Darnold, probably the if you're trading for Darnold, if you're trading for Darnold, you're not trading for a starting court. Like. He's going to compete. If you're trading for Carson Wentz, you think he's going to be. Marissa was so focused on that point that she missed the birds of a friend. She ultimately boasted. I just ignored you. You missed my ultimate boast. Connor, at this stage of the game, I know to just, you know, keep powering through it. Okay, you um, can continue. <laughs> that's fine. I well, you, it's just when, interesting. You, when you edit this back, you'll hear this both slight, and you'll be like, "God damn, Connor, that was good." <laughs> you're like, oh, "I don't want to give that guy credit." Damn, that was a good one. That's gonna be one you like. You know, you clip all there, all all Bo's shots at me from the pod and send it in. You're gonna clip this one to send to Bo. This was. I this do. Is a good one. I do clip yours too and send it. Yeah, Marissa yeah. feeds the rivalry. Yeah. That's that's the funny. Like everyone thinks she's throwing gasoline on the fire. I think it probably would have simmered down. And every time it does, Marissa's like. Let's throw this. Oh, I know. I'll mention Carson Wentz on the Jets podcast. That'll get Connor going. It was all part of her evil. <laughs> no, plan. I just think it's interesting because they've talked about Sam Darnold and, you know, it's going to be an interesting quarterback offseason. Yeah. So you, you did. um You did mention that because like when we first started talking about the concept that uh, Trevor Lawrence was an option for the Jets, like back when I probably it, it became Real like a real like it was a joking like oh maybe they'll draft maybe they'll draft Trevor Lawrence it was like a little bit of a joke until the Jets lost to the Broncos when they lost to to ripen on on Monday night or on Thursday night at home that's when it suddenly became like holy cow is this team gonna win a game and even if they do win a game are they winning more than two which means they're in contention for number one so Trevor Lawrence is realistic and then when the Lawrence discussion started happening more frequently it was always like all right well. The next point is you have to flip Sam Darnold for a draft pick. And I never thought they were going to get a one. I know the Eagles got a one for Sam, not to bring up the Eagles again, but I know the Eagles got a one for Sam Bradford. I think that was like an outlier because it was such a desperate situation because that was right after the Teddy Bridgewater injury. The Vikings believed they were on the cusp of a Super Bowl contention and they saw Sam Bradford as a guy that could come in, steady the ship and and be a quarterback that, that doesn't make the mistakes and, and could still get them to the playoffs in a Super Bowl. And obviously they were wrong because Bradford was, was a, an atrocity. Um, the, 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 I think the easier one to compare to is Josh Rosen. The fact the Cardinals gotten a two, a five, two and a five from the Dolphins for, for Josh Rosen a year after he was the first round pick. Um, that was, yeah, the Jets can do that too. That was if after the is, yeah, the, the, the Sam Darnold struggling because the Jets failed him. Some team will take a chance on him, a two and a five. Absolutely. Worst case conditional three and a four, something like that. When you look at what Sam's done this year though. Throughout his nine starts, 0-9 as a starter, a 58.4 completion percentage, just 1,500 passing yards, five touchdowns, nine interceptions. Like, that's not, he's averaging 5.8 yards an attempt. Like, that's, that's really bad. Like, that's, that's, I, I don't know why a team would give up a two and a five for that. And, and the more he plays, the worse he gets. Like, he's not getting better as this season gets on. As we've mentioned, he's getting significantly worse. Like, he looked better in the opener. He looked better against the, the, the 49ers. He looked better all, at all of these other points. 
than what he has these last three or four weeks that if you're the Broncos, why like why are you giving up a two and a five for him? If you're the Colts, why are you giving up a two and a five? If you're the Steelers, why are you giving up? I could see like a three alone, maybe like a four and a six. But like as he plays more, it's going down, which is why you bring up like the 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 belief of, you know what? Maybe it does make a lot more sense to just bench him so that it doesn't get any worse. But at the same time, the Jets aren't going to do that. Like 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 uh, Adam made the comment when we asked him about the concept of benching Sam one, two weeks ago, basically there's no shot in hell that they need to see this guy in the field. They need to see this guy play. They need to get him in there. So it makes sense, but you're right. It's not making anything better. The more Sam plays, the worse he looks, the more that trade value drops because in order for the jets to get a two and a five for Sam, they need to have somebody offering a two and a five. And in order for a team to offer a two and a five, you got to have somebody that's offering a three. Because you're going to want to bid for him and you want to up that that value and you want to get it to the point where I've got to offer a two and a five. Otherwise, I'm not going to get him because this team's offering a three. You can go all the way down the line of like, well, I'm not offering a two. Well, I'm not offering a three. Okay, maybe I'll give him a four. And then that can maybe start moving the thing up. But it was a two and five, obviously, a couple months ago. I think you're probably looking at now a three, maybe a three and a five. And it... There's just, it's like, when you look at Sam now and you assess Sam now and you break down Sam's play, it's almost like there's so much now that you have to fix. It's not like there's so much to work with. You know what I mean? Like, oh, look at his playmaking ability. Look at his escape ability. You look at Sam now and suddenly you see a quarterback that needs a complete overhaul mentally and physically. I mean, his footwork is a disaster. His decision-making is egregious. His pocket presence is non-existent. I mean, all of this is is a shot. And this is all another thing that another team and another offensive coordinator, another quarterback coach has to fix. And it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of work to say, like, I got to invest a second and a five. And maybe this is like me watching far too much shark tank and thinking about like, Oh, I'm making this offer, but you know, I'm going to make you, I want 20% of your company because now I need to like actually do all this work and and make all these changes, blah, blah, blah. But that's kind of similar to what this is going to be for the Jets. The Jets can say, we want a two and a five because we believe you can make a Sam a franchise quarterback. But another team is going to be like, yeah, I can make Sam a franchise quarterback. So you take a effing lot of work. And it's like, you know what I mean? So it's, it you're you're not wrong. It at, The more he plays, the worse he looks, and it's not going to get any better this week against the Rams. That trade value just keeps going down, down, down. All right, we focused a lot on the offense. Uh, let's talk about the, the defense. And it was a defense without Greg Williams and... Um, we kind of predicted how that might go, and it was pretty much as predicted. In They weren't as interesting, I guess. It was a more scaled-back defense. They didn't take as many chances. Um, there was always the possibility maybe that would be helpful, but it certainly wasn't because with that came an uninspired effort from this defensive unit. Um, it was bad from the start. That first Seattle drive, um, Russell Wilson just – picking apart the defense like they weren't even there. It was almost like a seven-on-seven drill, it felt like. They go down the field. They run it easily against a run defense that's been probably the best part of this Jets team this season has been the run defense and didn't do anything. 142 yards on 27 carries for Carson and Hyde. Uh, Connor, I I mentioned it. This is kind of what we thought was going to happen with Greg Williams gone, um, and and it certainly did. The defense was bad. Yeah, and I mean, there. There was something to to play here, not just about no Greg Williams, but 
I mean, this was David Goliath, varsity, JV, A team, B team, talent, no talent. I mean, there was a legitimate, serious talent discrepancy between the Seattle Seahawks offense, Russell Wilson, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, DK Metcalf, one of the best receivers, Chris Carson, uh, probably a top 10 running back and a good offensive line. And then obviously you throw in Tyler Lockett and all this stuff. I mean, when the Jets are trotting out, no, you know, Bryce Huff as their best pass rusher. Um, Quinton Williams is a good player, but but opposite him, you got Henry Anderson and, and Foley Fatukasi. And their secondary is still manned by Bless Austin and then Bryce Hall and Javelin Guidry. And, and their secondary is, is, or their safety position opposite Marcus May, is Matthias Farley, a guy who really shouldn't be playing anything other than special teams. I mean, you knew it was going to be ugly. But I, I do believe we talked about this on Thursday. And I think this what we stressed quite a bit was is what we stressed quite a bit was that with Greg you always got something you know you you always got some weird wrinkle some unique look some funky something or other that confused the opposing offense it didn't matter if it was Tom Brady out there it didn't matter if it was Baker Mayfield it didn't matter if it was a rookie quarterback making his first start. You were always going to get something different and unique from Greg. And was he going to make some ridiculous play calls because his arrogance got in the way? Absolutely. Was his team always going to toe the line between tough and physical and overly aggressive, which leads to penalties? Absolutely, because they embodied his personality. But you would take the good with the bad because you knew you were still going to get that confusion and the team was still going to play hard and they were very rarely going to be blown out from first snap to the last but they eventually get worn down yeah and then they give up plays but they were always going to have a stretch of really competitive back competitive game from that defense I don't know if this Sunday was a hangover from that just demoralizing defeat to the Raiders there was definitely I think something to do with that I mean even Adam Gase and Marcus May all these guys like talked on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday about how, you know, this one's a little harder to get over. This one felt different. We know it was there. I mean, there was definitely some hangover. I'm sure going east to west coast on Friday didn't help things. But not having Greg on the sideline, I do think, took an emotional toll. I mean, he wasn't beloved by every defensive player, but the defensive line did love him. And and the secondary linebackers didn't. I can tell you that firsthand. They definitely did not. But the, you got it from the defensive line. And the guys, no matter whether you liked them or didn't, you still always played hard. And I think there was that lack of an edge this week with Frank Bush. And maybe it's Frank Bush's personality. He's a little bit more laid back. He's not as yelly and screamy and all that stuff. He is more reserved. But there was absolutely some, some impact not having Greg there. Because the Jets just didn't have the same fight. They didn't have the same intensity. They didn't have the same swagger. That they always do. And I know you saw it a little bit at the end of the game with Frankie Luvu kind of screaming and yelling, but the score was 37-3. You saw it with Bless Austin when he freaking stuck his tongue out. Like, we should get into doing? the Bless Austin nonsense, too. Yeah, we'll get Yeah, and and well, and well, like you saw a little bit of the fight, but still, I mean, the one thing that this Jets defense has done remarkably well over the last two years, and it was whether they stunk or whether they were good, they're good games, they're bad games, always, they always stopped the run. They never, ever, ever were gashed up the middle. You always knew that if they were going to get beat, it was going to be over the top with quick passes or by, by taking the top off the defense. They were never going to get beat on the ground. 
Chris Carson went 12 for 76 in a touchdown. There were times he was running through holes that the three of us could have linked arms and skipped through. Carlos Hyde, 15 for 66. He had an 18-yard rush, too. I mean, that's that's not the Jets' defense we've seen the last two years. And when they're doing things like that, when guys are that out of position, when guys are just getting bulldozed by Carson and Hyde and, and out-physicaled up front, I think that that is a little bit of, of not having Greg on the sideline. And, and we kind of foresaw it coming, and, and it happened. It did. It really did happen that it was – this defense was was beat up. This defense was bad, and it was. I think they missed they missed Greg Williams. It was the right move to move on from Greg Williams, but you knew this week and probably next week against the Rams, there were there's going to be there's going to be some struggles that maybe wouldn't have been there with Greg on the sideline. NFL Next Gen had a number that uh, Frank Bush, being conservative, twenty three four man rushes and the thirty two dropbacks for um, Russell Wilson and Wilson had man. He had all day at some times. The first touchdown pass when he just kind of slightly rolled to his right and found the receiver wide open. There was also receivers running wide open all over the field um, at different times in this game. It was just ugly. Um, you mentioned Bless Austin. The last thing you want to see when your team is is on their way, minutes away from being 0-13, and the backup quarterback is in, not just any backup quarterback, but it's Geno Smith is the backup quarter for Seattle. He's in there running the offense. Um, they're clearly just trying to make sure nobody gets hurt and get out of there. And then Bless Austin is chirping. He takes his helmet off, sticks his tongue out. I mean, I just don't understand where it comes from, Connor, how you could have that mindset at that point in a game in a season like this. I mean, who's he trying to impress? I don't. I mean, I know his his agent got on my ass a little bit on Twitter because I tweeted about it. He goes, you know, you can't fight a guy for showing intensity and heart. It wasn't and fire. intensity; it was stupidity. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Basically, I mean, it was. <laughs> I, I I like that's the one thing that just drives me nuts with play. Like, I love when guys score and there's intense. You know, they're screaming and yelling. I love when there's a sack and they're screaming and yelling, a pass breakup, a, a big a big defensive stop behind the line. What just drives me nuts is when like guys on the offense gain yards. Or they're moving the ball down the field at will. And you finally make a stop and you're like screaming and yelling. And you're like, yeah, let's go. And you're like, it's, that just drives me, especially in like, like I hate when that happens in general. But when you're down at the time 37 to 3 and like literally the entire Seahawks backup team is in. No starting receivers, no starting running backs. Carlos Hyde worked in a little bit like at 10 because to relieve DJ Dallas. But everyone, Geno Smith, Geno Smith is out there and you've got you're you're chirping like that and then the chirping leads to a foul which almost leads to another touchdown which you know geno smith wanted a touchdown against the jets it was like you just can't do that it it, i mean it was it was bad it was it was ridiculous but it was i think just a team coming apart at the seams it was a team that just it's it's so ugly and it's so nasty and it's so not good right now that it's like they're just trying to grasp anything when you get punched in the mouth punched in the mouth punched in the mouth and then eventually you come back and and you got to start swinging and throwing haymakers and I think that's what it was and it was a bad look especially when he's taking off his helmet chirping to the opposing sideline and sticking his tongue out like are you sticking your tongue out at Russell Wilson on the side like ha look at me I guess I can stop Gino but not you you want to come out and get some of this I mean Russell would have come in there and throw three more touchdowns like it was ridiculous and you actually mentioned like Russell's first touchdown and second and all that stuff my favorite was actually the fourth because that's the one where he's got it. Def- like he has all time in the pocket. Finally, someone skirts through, but like, I forget. It might've been Foley. I don't know, but they're like basically holding Russell's foot 
And then Russell just like standing there with the guy on his foot just flings it to a wide open receiver in the back of the end zone for a touchdown for the fourth. I mean, that was like, you're not even sniffing him. I think the Jets had two quarterback hits all day and it was, I think Foley got one on Geno. So it was like, that was, it was just, Quinn and Williams was invisible. The Seahawks shut him down real easy. And it was just, it's sad. It's sad. Not great. Quinn and Williams, that's interesting. I wonder how much of that was in a direct and and I'm sure it'll pass, but like immediate week after factor with Greg Williams, right? The fact that the week after Greg Williams is gone, Quinn and Williams, who clearly had had a breakout season this year under Greg Williams, um, he has that kind of effort. I wonder how connected those two things are. Yeah, he liked him. I mean, you saw because yeah. he tweeted like the weird emoji or whatever like that yeah. after the uh, after the um, when Greg first got fired, which he then deleted the tweet because like, right. what are you doing? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there was. I don't know if it was if he was that. I think the Seahawks just what you're going to start seeing now with Quinnen is that teams are not teams are going to make like okay, so how do we beat the Jets off Jets defense? Well, the virtually the only player on that team that's going to do anything like make a difference. Like you're going to have Neville's going to fly around and make tackles and he's always going to be around the ball. But the only guy that's really going to make a difference and be a, a game changing force is uh, Quinnen. Quinnen's the guy that, that he'll wreck a game. He'll make your quarterback's life hell. So what teams are going to do now is they're going to spend a full week with somebody on the other side of the field and, and scout team with a 95 Jersey on trying to figure out, okay, this is what Quinnen does, and this is how we have to stop him. Because they know that the key to moving the ball against the Jets is you take 95 out of the game and then make somebody else beat you. And I think you saw the Seahawks put that initial game plan out there to be like, okay, this is how you stop Quinnen. And you look at him, I mean, he did finish with six tackles, six combined tackles, but no quarterback hits, no tackles for a loss, no quarterback hurries. That's what made him so dominant the last month or so was that he was disrupting the passer and not just making tackles but getting into the backfield and attacking these guys the key now is going to be can Quinnen take this stuff like take take now the Seahawks put together an initial game plan to slow him down it clearly worked because he was slowed down can Quinnen counter that and can Quinnen now do something different that now makes an offense think and that's when you get to the chess match where you do something I do something you do something I counter you do something I counter the good players like Aaron Donald keep countering and keep countering and keep countering and you can never figure them out because they're always doing something different and they're just physical freaks. If Quinnen wants to get to that point, he can't be deterred by this. And I, I don't think he will. I think he'll go to the drawing board and he'll try to he'll try to piece this together. Uh, we mentioned Geno Smith. Uh, there was, this was a game that was kind of a haunt, a haunt of Jets' failures of the past as far as front office and players. Um, the number of players that are now on Seattle or you could even go to Pete Carroll if you wanted to. I mean, that's See, obviously right? going yeah, true, way, yeah. way, way back. And and long before Pete had the illustrious career that he did at USC and, and all of that. But so many guys on that field with Jets connections. Um, but the one that probably stood out the most, I mean, Jamal Adams obviously got the most hype because of the trade and all of that. But but as far as the game itself, the thing that stood out the most, I would say, Connor, is probably the kicking, right? Because Sergio Castillo misses three field goals. Meanwhile, Jason Myers, who did miss an extra point, but he was two for two on field goals, and he's 18 of 18 this season when the Jets had him and could have easily kept him and just decided not to. Yeah, and I know I've, I've talked to Mike about it, McCagna, and I've talked to Brant Boyer about this at like the Combine and stuff like that. Their concern with Myers and the reason well, – uh, 
Boyer made Boyer was like, I need him back. Like Boyer loves his guys. So Boyer never wanted Myers gone. He never wanted Andre Roberts gone. He wanted those the Jets to resign those two. McCagnan's issue with Roberts, who's having a hell of a career again with with the the Bills. I'm pretty sure he made the Pro Bowl last year. He uh his issue was like, okay, he's gonna be 30, and the Jets had just drafted Trenton Cannon. So they were like, well, we believe Cannon's gonna be our kick return and we can develop him into a punt returner. We don't want Andre Roberts, who's gonna be 31. So they let him go. With Myers, they were concerned he was a one-hit wonder. That they were like, okay, he didn't have great, he didn't have a great tenure with the Jaguars. We claimed him off the waiver wire because I think that's when they had Cairo Santos, who like injured himself in training camp and didn't kick at all. Like that was with Todd was like, no, he's fine. He's kicking indoors. Meanwhile, he has like his leg falling off and he doesn't kick at all. They got lucky with Myers getting free. They claim Myers. He ends up having this. Where the hell did this season come from? They were worried that he was just going to revert, that they were going to pay him, and he would go back to what he was with the Jaguars for three years and not what he was for the Jets for one. Um, obviously, like the vast majority of all of McAgnon's moves, it was the wrong call. It was not. The, it was not the right decision to make because Myers has gone on to Seattle and what he missed, like three field goals last year, I think it was. I'm trying to look. I had it written down. Um, he, I think he missed like three field goals last year. He's 18 of 18. Um, Myers since, so like since the Jets, the crazy thing is like since the Jets let Myers go, their kickers, which were um, uh, Vedvik, who was obviously the guy they had for a week who cost them the victory over the Bills, which would have been the Jets' eighth win last season. Between Vedvik, Sam Ficken, and then Sergio Castillo, the Jets kickers have missed 11 field goals over the last, what is this, 16 plus 13 games. So whatever that is, 29 games. Um, they've missed 11 field goals. Myers has missed five and none this season. He's got the longest streak of consecutive makes stretching between last year and this year. I mean, the guy's a stud. And it's it's a shame the Jets let him go because he was there. But you go up the list. I mean, there's other ones, too. You saw Snacks Harrison. Damon Harrison, I, completely, I forgot he was with the Seahawks. He, he actually had a good game. Six tackles, a forced fumble. Brandon Shell. Is the, is the Seahawks starting right tackle? I was talking to somebody over there in Seattle. They said they're ridiculously, like, they're they're remarkably impressed and happy with Shell. Like, he's come in, become their right tackle, and is, like, the guy. Like, he's really good on the right side. They're having no issues with him at all. It's it's amazing. Like, they, like, they don't just have ex-Jets that are like, all right, we signed Geno to be our backup. Like, it's like, all right, whatever. They have ex-Jets that are starting and playing. Damon Harrison, who was supposed to retire, having big impact. Brandon Shell starting. I mean, it's it's crazy. It really is. I mean, I guess the Jets have some guys that can play. I mean, I guess McCagden technically got, got Brandon Shell right, even though the Jets let him walk. All right, let's get to some questions. Um, I think this one's pretty, well, maybe not obvious, but I th- I th- I think it's it's worth asking. This one from Andrew. This Jets team is the worst team ever, right? Worse than the Lions when they were 0-16. We could throw the Browns in the discussion too. And and we're going to have uh, Zach Jackson on probably uh, next week. And Yes, we're going to break it down that, uh, and get who's perspective. Who's the worst 0-16? Because right. that's a interesting conversation. What do you think, Connor? Uh, yeah, I think they're the worst. I, I, so. I can't comment too much on... The Lions, because that I was. What year was that again? You say? Oh, you remember? Was I was pretty young. Oh six. Yeah, so that was like when I was in. Let me see. I graduated middle school. Two thousand eight. Oh eight. Okay, so I was in. I was in high school until I was a sophomore. So I mean, that was a. I, I, was, I wasn't watching too much Lions football when they went zero sixteen that year. But I, I'm not mistaken. I thought they had like Calvin Johnson that season, and they had some injuries where Stafford went down. So they had Orlovsky have to play, and I think Kitten ended up getting hurt. So. Um, that team had some talent. I, I would think that 
I'd have to go back and look at the roster, but off the top of my head, I don't. I I think the Browns would beat them. I mean, that Browns team played some competitive games. That Brown team had some talent. They just had a quarterback issue. That's why I think they had like RG three starting at one point and all that stuff. So. They still had some decent coaching staff. That'd be Greg Williams. Greg Williams was that team's defensive coordinator. I'm sure he would give Sam Darnold fits. Hugh Jackson had his moments where he would design some good things. Uh, I think he was just a little bit of a pushover, which caused problems. But uh, I, I think that I think the Jets are would be the worst 0 16 team, and I don't think it would be it would be all that close. The Lions did have Calvin Johnson. I think he got banged up. But listen to this uh, quarterback. Say Roy Williams, then too. That means Roy Williams. Yeah. How about Calvin this quarterback? Johnson, Mike Williams too. Yes. Um, a receiver? No. Maybe got hurt. Yeah, he was maybe. probably hurt. How about this quarterback depth chart on that 08 Lions team? Dante oh, Culpepper, man. Drew Henson, oh! Dan Orlovsky, who has moved on, obviously, to uh, to ESPN and, and the media, and then Drew Stanton. So a couple of Drews, Dante Culpepper. I don't know how yeah. that broke down exactly. Um, I'll text man, Dan. It's a lot of names as far, you know, in a bad year, a lot of known names at quarterback. You guys want to talk? Maybe we can get Dan on the um podcast for thursday i'll, I'll yeah. text him i'll see if he's free like we got we'll talk about like giant uh that that lions team darn he did, he uh, has thoughts on sam darnold too so that'd be really good uh you want to get to our next question <laughs> yeah. we're planning the next show already <laughs> go ahead marissa connor likes to you know give a look behind the curtain a lot so this is this is how we uh uh plan for our episodes but uh all right this one's from nolan rich any signs that the jets have begun looking into locking up marcus may long term he is a great building block and a leader that they need to keep um i haven't heard anything yet but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen um that doesn't mean it's not going to happen it's just it's it's something i would absolutely prioritize um it would be something that i would say like this is what they've got to do because the thing about Marcus is like you can't you don't compare him to to Jamal ask when when Greg Williams asked him to play the Jamal role like he did earlier in the season it was so silly like because it's it's not the player he is but he's the guy that you want in the locker room he's the type of player that you don't like if the Jets let go of Marcus May they're going to want to go find another Marcus May because he's a top tier center fielder I mean he is so good in deep zone coverage and, and making sure nothing gets behind him he is a guy that people gravitate towards, not because he tells people to gravitate towards him, because they do it naturally. Because that was the difference between Jamal and Marcus, is that Jamal said, I'm the leader. Jamal said, I'm the captain. Jamal said, everyone needs to look towards me. Jamal said, look at me, look at the way I do things. Marcus didn't. He never said any of those things. He never did any of those things to draw people off. What He, he literally would just go about his business, do his business, and people would see the way he acts, see the way he treats people, see the way he performs in practice and gets himself ready, and then the way he plays. And they're like, well, I want to do that, so I'm going to follow. He was he, They naturally gravitated towards him. And he's a great guy in the locker room. He's so well-respected, and he's a good football player. Like, it's not like I'm saying, oh, pay this guy, like, you know, be, give this guy money just because he's a good lead. He's a good football player, too. So I would assume that, that right after this season, the Jets are going to do everything they can to make sure he doesn't hit free agency because he's a guy you want to build around. Now... If Marcus comes out and it's like, I want 15 million a year, or I want 13 million a year, or I want 14 million a year, or pay me all this money, well, then that's when the two sides go different ways. But if they can come to terms on a reasonable contract, if they can come to terms on something that works for both sides, it needs to be a priority to get him back. He needs to be back because he's a guy you can build around. 
That makes sense. There was some news this morning. This isn't officially a question, but we should uh, talk about it a little bit because we had mentioned Bill Cower uh, last week and the rumors bumping around from Boomer that he might be interested in coming back to head coach. And then that obviously you look at the teams that are available and um, some Jets fans, I think, thought of it as a positive as a guy that's a proven winner, although a long time ago and others, you know, would rather go with the younger, more inspired choice than the guy that's long gone. Um, but he spoke this morning, according to ESPN, Bill Cower saying that he has no interest, zero interest in returning to coaching, which I think makes a lot more sense than the other rumors last week. Right. I mean, he's got a, he's got a pretty good cushy setup right now. Yeah. And give, uh, we talked about this last week. I mean, give Rich Smini credit. He got, uh, he got Cower on the phone and just straight up asked him like, Hey, you interested in coaching? He said, no. Now he did couch it a little bit by saying, I will never talk about a job that, is owned by somebody else. So it's like a coaching rule thing. Right. Um, but I just don't think it's where the Jets want. I know they want like the guy who's done it before. I know they want a guy who's had success. I know they want the culture builder and the guy who can captivate guys. But whenever you have a, a coach that's been out of the league for so long and you have a coach that's already won a Super Bowl with one team, because if I'm not mistaken, in NFL history, no one has ever won a Super Bowl and then won another Super Bowl with somebody else. Like, they've never won a Super Bowl at two different spots after winning it the first time, if I'm not mistaken. And a lot of it's like, you wonder if they lose some hunger or they lose some juice, where it's like, you won one, and then you want to go win another one. Like, guys have gone, like, um, who's the old Seahawks coach? Holmgren. Like, Holmgren won one with the with the Packers, and then he went back with the Seahawks, but he didn't win it again. So guys haven't won it in one stop and won it in the next one. He's just one I would stay away from, personally. I just, I just go, you want the culture builder like him, you want the head coach personality like him. I just don't know if a guy that's been out of the league for so long is the right the right direction to go. I would stay away from that. Um, so, One more, Marissa? Yeah, so someone brought this up earlier in the chat, and I can't find who exactly wrote it, so I apologize for not reading their name. But they wrote, let's not forget about Tannehill, who looked like garbage, and then look at him now. Is the Gase effect a real thing? And if Sam Darnold I, does I leave... Get- I give Gase. Let's hear it, Connor. No, this isn't a crazy. This isn't a rant. This ain't. This ain't like Connor (laughs) rant worthy. But like, I do give Gase some some leeway with the Tannehill thing because the one year that Gase and Tannehill worked together completely, they went to the playoffs. Like they 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 went to the playoffs. And Tannehill, I think, got hurt before the playoff game. I don't think he played in the playoff game. But they went to the playoffs with Tannehill under center. And, and I can I can look up his numbers, or Tim, while I'm talking, if you can look up what Tannehill did that that one year that he had Gase with. Yep. He looked decent. Like, it wasn't world beater, but it was also still kind of early in his career. And he was just, just coming off of um, whoever that Packers offensive coordinator was that was the Dolphins head coach when, uh, when he had Tannehill the first year, like whoever that was. But they, like, when they cut Chad Johnson and they were on um, hard knocks, I forget, I forget the guy's name, uh, Philbin. I think it might have been Joe Philbin. Um, whenever, like, he, he kind of got a good year out of Tannehill. And then over the next two years that they worked together, Tannehill was never on the field. He was hurt all the time. He was dealing with knee issues. He tore his ACL. He was dealing with this. He was dealing with that. So we never really got a healthy Tannehill. The first time we've seen a healthy Tannehill was when Tannehill went off to the Titans. And I know Gase, I've talked to Gase about it. He never gave up on Tannehill. He always believed Tannehill could play. He just needed to stay healthy. And the one year that he and Tannehill were both healthy, Tannehill took him to the playoffs. So... I don't, I don't put that on. I think that's a lazy, that's a lazy, like, Gase escape. I think that's a lazy one to say. If you want to go with Jacecki, if you want to go with Devontae Parker, if you want to go with um, Kenyon Drake, like, all those guys, I think those are more realistic 
he escaped the Gase curse than Tannehill. Because when Tannehill had a full season with Gase, they went to the playoffs and they won 10 games. And I know they ran on the ground with J.H.I. the majority of the way there. That's when J.H.I. ran for like 200 yards in two or three straight games, whatever, something absurd like that. But still, I mean, they, they were a successful team with Tannehill and Gase pairing that first year, and then injuries just took their toll. Yeah, 2016, uh, Tannehill played 13 games that year, which was the most he played with with Gase there. Uh, he was 8-5. and five. You mentioned that they won 10 games as a team. 67.1% uh, completions. Uh, he had 19 touchdowns, 12 picks, so that's not great. But you mentioned the running game. Averaged 230 yards per game. So he was he was a serviceable quarterback, certainly, who got his team to the playoffs and and didn't really do too much harm to them that year. He's He's progressed since then. But quarterbacks do get better the longer they're in the league. So I agree with you there. But I, I think it is interesting to think that, like, does Darnold get them more in return because of Gase? Is that even something that could be considered real, that that some executive is out there and like, you know what, give them a second rounder because I know he's better than that because Adam Gase is the reason he's been so bad. Um, They won't just come out and give them. The Certainly Jets are going to have their ask- it, right? yeah. yeah, the Jets are going to have their asking price, which is probably going to start at, like, one. And then it's going to go down from there. And then it's just a matter of like, who's going to like this. Now this is the difference between Jamal's trade and Quinnen's trade rumors and Sam with Jamal. It was, we want to keep him. You need to convince us not to. So if you didn't give the jets, the offer they wanted, Jamal was still going to be on this team. The Jets didn't not answer the phone on Quinn Williams at the dead at you know after like last season at the draft and at the trade deadline this year, but you needed to blow them away with an offer for them to give him up. Like that's what they got from Jamal. They got two first round picks, a third, and you got Bradley McDougal, the player that they actually really did covet. So you got a bounty for Jamal Adams. That's why they traded Jamal Adams. If the Seahawks didn't make that offer, Jamal Adams was still going to be a Jet this season. That similar offer of what they got for for Jamal, they never got for Quinnen, so Quinnen is still a Jet. That's not the case with Sam. The Jets are going to trade Sam Darnold this offseason, so now it becomes, okay, who's going to make me the best offer? And if the Jets make him, or if somebody offers them a four as the best offer, they're going to take a four. If the best offer is a three, they're going to take a three. If they have multiple teams that all make an offer, they will go to them and say, like, We've got a four. You're going to have to do better, you know, and that's when it can drive it up. As far as getting a, I, I don't, I, I have, there's, I really don't think they're getting a one. I find it hard to see any team giving up a two. Even the Steelers or Colts teams are going to be picking lower in the first round. I find it very hard to see either of those teams giving up a two. I think the more likely option is they get like a three and a five for Sam, maybe just a three. All right. That makes a lot of sense. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Um, as you heard, we have big things in store, maybe for later in the week. <laughs> yeah. I shot down a text. You okay. get back. Not right confirmed there. yet, but the request is out. So, so maybe a guest coming up later in the week. We were also talking about maybe uh, doing the Jets holiday wish list. We'll, we'll see if that comes to fruition as well. We'll have more details as we get closer to later in the week. That's coming up on Thursday, though. That's going to do it for this edition. We're not going to give you our Venmos. Instead, we're going to go with Twitter. <laughs> Connor's at Connor or underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Marissa's at Marissa that, underscore Morris. That is also my Venmo, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there you go. Please don't send Connor money. Please. 
Don't send Connor money. Um, you can also get a great deal if you haven't already subscribed to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait podcast right now. It's gift a subscription. Get a subscription now through the holidays. Just buy a subscription for somebody on that w- wish list. That's a great gift for anyone. And when you do that, you get a subscription for yourself for free. So basically, two for one for the holidays. Check it out. Theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait podcast. Have a great day, everyone.